This is Yahoo Finance Presents. I'm Allie Garfinkel, and I'm here with Congressman Ro Khanna of Silicon Valley. Thank you for joining us. Allie, great to be on. So I'm going to jump right in and start with the America Competes Act. Um, Speaker Pelosi named you to the conference committee. As that process gets started, what are your non-negotiables? Well, first, this is such an important act. It's going to make a massive investment in building our technology infrastructure, in investing in cut, uh, cutting uh, science. It's the largest increase since the Kennedy years. Uh, it's going to lead to things such as Intel uh, investing $20 billion in Ohio to create manufacturing jobs, construction jobs. I want to make sure that we have these tech hubs uh, across America and that the hubs are adequately funded. Because if we don't adequately fund them, uh, then they won't be a success. And so that will be one of my highest priorities. And those tech hubs actually had a life before the America Competes Act. They were they were part of the Endless Frontier Act that you that you introduced. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know the odyssey of some of these sorts idea of ideas? Because I'm always curious when something starts in one bill and ends up in another. Well, I'm very proud of uh, the Competes Act, which is basically modeled from our Endless Frontiers Act and takes the Endless Frontier Act and adds a couple of things. But the bill was originally the brainchild of Senator Schumer, myself, Representative Gallagher and Todd Young, bipartisan. And it said America needs to compete in production. We need to make sure we're winning in the breakthrough technology fields, AI, quantum computing, uh, clean energy, electronics manufacturing, and that we need to do that not just at MIT and Stanford, but across the American country, taking advantage of our talent uh, at our extraordinary land-grant universities at uh, places in the Midwest and South. Uh, and so much of that is now part of the competes bill. And I mean, also part of the competes bill from the Endless Frontier Act is adding a directorate for, to the National Science Foundation. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? The point of this is that we can't just do the theoretical research. We also need to make uh, make the production in the United States. For example, we invented the semiconductor chip, uh, but all the production went offshore to Taiwan, to South Korea. Uh, that's not helpful for creating good jobs, for having uh, a supply chain that is secure for our national security purposes. And so the technology directorate will say, yes, we need to do the theoretical research, but we also need to do the production in the United States. We also need to do the innovation uh, on uh, actually making things and selling things into the market. And then can you talk about a little bit about the chips part of this bill? So, you know, the semiconductor industry, I, I'd love to know where it fits in your worldview and priorities and how important restrictions are when it comes to funding, how that funding it's, can be used. That's it's hugely important. I mean, this is going to be $50 billion to make sure that we're manufacturing in the United States because we have the semiconductor conductor shortage, that's why the price of cars and used cars has gone up. That's why the prices uh, of so many things has go have gone up and it's one of the contributors to inflation. So what should we do? We should make sure that the manufacturing is happening in the United States. This is going to lead to things like what Intel is doing in uh, Columbus, Ohio, in the heart of the Midwest. Uh, they're building a plant, creating new jobs, uh, helping revitalize that part of the country. My understanding is that there is a disparity between the Senate bill and the House bill on this, that there in the House bill are restrictions on how how semiconductor companies can use that funding, whereas in the Senate bill, those restrictions aren't there. Is that something that you're that you're going to fight for? The 
restrictions, it depends. I am for some of the restrictions saying we shouldn't be just importing things from China. I mean, the whole point of the bill uh, is to make sure that the manufacturing is here, that we're not going to have global supply chains. Some of those provisions uh, are in the House bill, and I want to see them uh, see them there. Uh, but I also think that uh, ultimately what I'm for is getting it to the president's desk and uh, making sure that we get this done. And then climate change. I feel like it appears a couple different ways in the America Competes Act, both directly and as a research priority. Um, but I'm really interested because manufacturing conductor semiconductors is a really energy intensive business. Um, so how do you sort of expect to see companies and the government balance those two things? Well, we need energy. I mean, obviously we need energy to propel a modern economy, to propel the semiconductors to make steel. Uh, even we need steel for the offshore wind. But the main thing is that we've got to have a massive moonshot in renewable energy in this country. And the uh, bill, the competes bill has a down payment on clean energy uh, in terms of the research, in terms of some of the production, but we need more. And this is why we have to pass the president's $500 billion climate package to really have a moonshot on renewable energy. Which also brings me to another big issue, China. Um, you know, where do you kind of see the America Competes Act in terms of setting us up to compete with China? Is it a start? Is it a finish line? Is it somewhere in between? Oh, it's a, just a start. Uh, we, we have to win this race. We need to make sure we lead in technology, uh, not China. We need to recognize uh, that uh, the global supply chains that run through China are at risk. And so uh, we have to have a very, very uh, aggressive uh, policy uh, on building our manufacturing base, building our production base, making sure we can get some of the minerals in the United States or in our allies uh, and some of the materials that are needed for semiconductors. So this is just a start. And then while I, I have you, I'd like to pivot just a little bit to the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. Um, we'll narrow in, but to start broadly, what's your take on the regulation of big tech, a lot of which is based in your home district? We need smart regulation. The biggest thing we need is privacy. Every American should have an inalienable right to their data. You shouldn't go online and have your data stripped from you and then be targeted based on data that was taken from you without your consent. And we need smart antitrust regulation. I mean, uh, these big platforms shouldn't be able to kick people off their uh, platforms without good cause. They shouldn't be able to discriminate against sellers and favor their own products. And then, you know, one of the things, again, lives of ideas, um, it kind of has struck me that Endless Frontier really did sort of set the stage in some ways for the American Online and Innovation Choice, Innovation and Choice Online Act. Is that, is that fair to say? I would say Endless Frontiers really helped with the Competes Act and with USICA. I mean, Endless Frontiers is all about massive investment in science and technology across the country. Uh, I do think that the Internet Bill of Rights and some of the work we've done early on on antitrust uh, has laid the foundation for saying uh, tech companies need to have accountability, need to have regulation, and ultimately we have to care about consumers first, about their data, uh, about their ability to have choice, and that we have to compare, care about sellers uh, who need access to these platforms. So it sounds like private privacy is really important to you. Yes, I mean, I had Speaker Pelosi had me uh, draft the Internet Bill of Rights, and uh, that was uh, so key to empowering citizens uh, in a modern democracy. I mean, if you go into a store and the store was going to 
betray you or take information from you, you'd be outraged. Well, why should it be that when you go online, you don't have that same expectation of privacy? And then before we uh, before we pivot to your book, I'd, uh, I'd love to just really quickly also ask about the Public Lands Telecommunications Act. You and Representative Huffman recently reintroduced it. What made now the right time? The, which, which act is this? The Public Lands Telecommunications Act, broadband connectivity. Oh, yes. Well, of course, we need to make sure that we're having investment in municipal broadband, that we need to have investment in, in the last mile. Now, the president has passed uh, $65 billion with the House in getting internet uh, and broadband, high-speed internet everywhere. Uh, we need to make sure that that is accessible uh, to cities that may want to do it to localities they, that may want to do it because they often can do it at an affordable rate and they get the community buying. And then to pivot to your book before we go, um, Dignity in a Digital Age, there, there's a lot in it. Um, you know, on the jobs point, tech is an industry that really relies on permatemps, vendors, contractors. Um, and in the book, you really call for jobs to be, tech jobs to be available across the country, right? So. I guess the thing that I'm wondering is how do we make sure those jobs that are available across the country aren't just temp jobs? How do we make sure they're, they're quality jobs where people have the same benefits that someone who works in your district does? That's a great point. Well, there are gonna be 25 million of these digital jobs. And the cliche is that every company in some sense is a technology company, whether manufacturing, retail, agriculture, uh, in uh, financial services. And so what we need to do is make sure in this COVID moment where we can create jobs almost anywhere uh, that uh, people have uh, the access to the credentialing they need, that they have the access to the capital they need, uh, that we are really recruiting uh, and incentivizing recruiting in communities across the country. But then in addition to the jobs that are paying $80,000, the 25 million digital jobs, we need to make sure that the jobs in the service sector surrounding them are good paying jobs. It's crazy that you can have $11 trillion of market cap in my district, and yet someone at an Amazon warehouse who's making uh, that whole process work isn't getting a livable wage, isn't being able to afford a house. We have making a tremendous amount of wealth in this country right now, uh, in some ways more than ever before. Anyone who's working should be able to have a secure middle-class life. And you mentioned cryptocurrency a few times in your book, but I, I wouldn't say it, it looms large. So I was curious, you know, where do crypto and other digital assets figure into your view of a more, a more inclusive digital economy? I think it could be a huge tool. I mean, what is cryptocurrency at, the, at its core? It's a technology that allows decentralization. It takes away the need for a third party because you have a ledger, basically an accounting book, that is based that is public so you don't need third-party verification that means that uh, you can now do through smart contracts uh, transactions in an easier way uh, you, you can move power away from the financial or big tech centers and structure things that give more people ownership in a company more people say uh, in what should happen consider the dow that uh, zelensky is using in ukraine everyone gets to vote on how those dollars are are used so there's a lot of positive, obviously it has to be regulated, it can't be exploited for illegal purposes, but overall, it's a positive. Uh, and we have to wrap, but thank you so much for joining us, Congressman. Thank you, really enjoyed it.